I invite you to open your Bibles and look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. And I would like for you to follow along as I'll be reading chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This um, past week, Matt sent me an email, and um, he's working on a, a mission statement for our church. And for those of you who have had any experience at all in working with mission statements and uh, statements of purpose, no, that's not something you can just kind of spin off the top of your head and, and expect that to really <coughs> capture what is trying to be communicated. And particularly, what Matt's trying to do is to find a way in just a few words to represent who we are as a church, Doolin's Grove Advent Christian Church, and what we're supposed to be doing. And I have to tell you, he's, he's got off to a good start. But as he was going through that, this exercise, it brought me to mind of an exercise that we have been going through for a number of years at the denominational offices, as we went through the same exercise of determining our statement of purpose, our mission statement. And... Uh, it has kind of evolved over a number of years uh, under Dave um, Ross's service to, to our office. He really laid the foundation for it and incorporated some things that define who we are. And since uh, we've been in the office, we've kind of built upon that. And we've come up with our mission statement to simply reflect that being convinced of the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ, Advent, Advent Christian General Conference is committed to encouraging and equipping and empowering having Christian churches worldwide to be obedient to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Now, that's a mouthful, and probably some of you are saying, what does that mean? Uh, it basically means that we who have the responsibility of oversight of our churches around the world want to make certain that our churches are being obedient to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Just for a point of reference, I'll share with you what that Great Commandment is. It's, it, it appears throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament alike. But Mark 12, 30-31 is summarized in Jesus' instructions when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And then the Great Commission 
These are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples as he was ascending into heaven. Kind of like the marching orders of what you're supposed to be doing if truly you're going to be my disciples. And his words to his disciples, and again, this is recorded at least four times in the New Testament, but we more often than not return to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. 19 and 20, we read Jesus saying, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I've come to believe, and I, I think I'm right on this, that you really can't exercise this commandment or this commission without exercising the commandment. You can't be a discipler if you don't love the one who has called you to be a disciple. We as a church really can't be in the business of making disciples if we don't love God. We can't be in the business of making disciples if we don't love one another. We can't be in the business of making disciples if we love the people who are even outside our fellowship. So loving God and loving others as we love ourselves is critical if we're really going to be disciples, making others follow Christ as we have learned to follow Christ. This, this began to hit home when I was introduced to, to a young man named Joseph Tautau, who is one of our pastors in Myanmar. Because this man truly understands what it means to disciple. He's laying his life on the line to disciple. <laughs> and, and when I think of discipleship, I think so often we fall into the, the mindset that somehow it's just simply going to church and inviting people to come to church. But when you read through the New Testament, you find out that discipleship, not only becoming a disciple, but also discipling others, comes at a great cost, a great expense. <laughs> If for no other reason, the fact that God gave up His Son, Jesus Christ, so that they would be called, whoever He called, to become His disciples. It costs the very Son, of, the very life of Jesus, to, to make this pronouncement of making disciples. Have we ever really given serious thought as to what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Joseph Tautau had. He's in a country where Christianity is being suppressed. He's in a country where right now men and women are being run from their houses because they want to hold church inside their own home. He's been threatened with imprisonment. He has been under house arrest. He has been held uh, for interrogation time and time again. Because all he wants to do is just disciple people for Jesus Christ. He knows the cost of discipleship. This passage of scripture that I shared with you comes at a turning point in the life of Jesus Christ. 
As it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, and particularly if you look just ahead a few verses, like 951, we read that a time had approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, and he resolutely set out toward Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was ahead. And so this, this particular event, as we just read a few minutes ago, occurred on that road to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what it was going to cost him to fulfill what God had laid on his life. And so I want you to picture the scene now. That Jesus is walking along with his 12 disciples. And what is typical in the time of Christ, there would be others that would also be a part of the, the party. And many of them would consider themselves disciples because they're following Jesus as he walks along. And so Jesus, as he's talking, there is one, and I, I kind of just picture him kind of coming out of the crowd and coming up next to Jesus on this dusty road. And just simply saying to them, you know, uh, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Would he really? Does he really know what it costs to be a disciple? Jesus has already told his disciples almost on ten different occasions in the Gospel of Luke of what was ahead. That to follow him could cost them their very lives. And this guy just emerges out of the crowd that's walking along with Jesus and he says, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. Jesus' response seems quite simple. It's kind of a, a cautionary note for this man to consider. He just simply says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Saying to the guy, you better think this through. Because if you're going to follow me, there's going to be days when you're going to be homeless. There's going to be days where you don't have a place to go for refuge. There's going to be those times when you feel like you're alone. There's going to be those times when you are rejected. There are going to be those times when you wonder, what in the world have I gotten myself into? When Jesus called his disciples, remember, when he called them, he told them to let go of everything and follow me. And that's what they did. He says in Mark 10, 29, just get a feeling, I tell you the truth, no one who has left his home, his brothers, his sisters, his mother, his father, his children, his fields, for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them persecutions in this age to come. In other words, James say, Jesus is saying, you've got to give it up. All of it, if you're going to follow me. All the securities that you're, you kind of buy into, everything from having my own home, the security of the family that makes me feel comfortable, the surrounding of friends that you just really just love being with, all those things are given up if truly you're going to lay it on the line for Jesus. The fact is that his disciples were at times homeless. And they did experience extreme discomfort. And the fact, as, as, as profound as that is, there is even a greater one. 
the fact that the world of which they were a part at one time was no longer their world because now they were part of another world. They were part of the kingdom of God. Their, their old world was gone. They weren't citizens of the world. They were citizens of the kingdom of God. I love it the way um, St. Augustine captures the maybe the very thing that, is, that I'm trying to say here. Quote, The only ultimate disaster that can befall us, I have come to realize, is to feel ourselves to be at home on earth. As long as we are aliens, we cannot forget our true homeland. Unquote. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. This world of which we live in is not our home. We haven't been created to live here forever. We've been created to enjoy the new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, the kingdom of God. You know, as I was reading through this passage of Scripture, I really found it quite uncomfortable because it challenged me to consider again how much it really means to follow Jesus. And I came across, um, a, a, it's called Preaching the Word, a commentary. And uh, I just want to read a paragraph to you. And I'm going to tell you, this made me really uncomfortable. But maybe this kind of sets the tone of the seriousness of the matter we're dealing with this morning. <coughs> no one who commits to following Christ and does so lives a life of ease. No one. If your Christianity has not brought discomfort to your life, something is wrong. A committed heart knows the discomfort of loving difficult people. The discomfort of giving until it hurts. The, the, the discomfort of putting oneself out for the ministry of Christ and His church. The discomfort of a life out of step with the modern culture. The discomfort of being disliked. The occasional sense of having nowhere to lay your head. But Christ rewards far out value anything lost by following him. The world doesn't have, have it to give us. It's only found in Christ. Well, there was a second guy that came along. And he was, I, I kind of picture him just kind of hanging back a little bit. Because he doesn't take any initiative. It's Christ's own initiative as he turns and he around and he says to them, follow me. Can you imagine just being in a crowd? It's kind of like being in school when you're hoping the teacher won't, won't ask you to answer a question. You know, you kind of just slouch down because you haven't done your homework or whatever it is. It's the same way. This guy's in the crowd and Jesus turns around and says, follow me. And again, those are the very words that he spoke to Peter and Andrew. James and John and the other fishermen. That's the same, it's the same words that he spoke to Levi, the tax collector. Follow me. Lay it all down. Put it aside. Leave it behind. Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I think in some ways, this man's response is a lot like our own. When Jesus calls us to follow him, it comes with a condition. 
I'll follow you, Lord, but but <laughs> let me first do this, or let me do that, and, and then and then I'll follow you. Now, this is a, a bit of a, I, I guess, um, You wonder why in the world Jesus would be so insensitive to the fact that this guy just lost his father. Well, a couple of things I think we need to recognize here. In the time of Christ, when someone died, there wasn't a viewing, and then there was two or three days before the, I mean, two or three days after death, and then a viewing, and then a funeral. When someone died, they were buried right away. And they were buried for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was the law. And number two, well, you know what happens when people die? They rot. They stink. And so you've got to do something with it right away. So if this man's father had died, most likely he would have been with him anyway, according to the law. The law, in terms of how a son was supposed to take care of a family member, particularly a father, everything else could be set aside as he could take that responsibility on. And it was commended as the right thing to do. So, again, if the man had actually died, this, this follower probably would have been where his dad and family are right then. So, as this text has been interpreted, particularly uh, in looking more at the original language, it seems to suggest that the man is saying, when my father dies. Or it may mean that the father is very old and he's soon to die. And so, Lord, just let me go back and kind of hang out until all these things are settled, and then I'll come and follow you. Well, Jesus is trying to say to this man, there's some urgency here, brother. Time is running out. Let the dead bury the dead. Come, follow me. Proclaim the gospel now. Now, why would Jesus send such urgency? Because he knew his time was running out. He knew he was only a few more days in the face of this, this earth before he'd be crucified. Time is running out. I need to ask myself, as I think we need to all ask ourselves, do we have any sense of urgency today? Does the, does the church today have any sense of urgency if for no other reason we don't know what time holds for us? For any one of us. And particularly for someone that we love, that we know does not know Jesus Christ. Our mission statement says, convinced of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That means he can come any moment. But there doesn't seem to be any sense of urgency to do anything about those who are lost. And I've not heard the message of salvation. Or to be given some reason for hope. Or to be promised life. Life eternal. The third guy. Still another said, I will follow you. And here it comes again. I will follow you, but first, Lord, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Lord, I will, but... Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Again, this doesn't seem like it's asking a whole lot, does it? Let me just go back and say goodbye to my family. Uh, and as a matter of fact, when you put it in the context of what really has appeared for us in other places in Scripture... Um, there was Elijah who came up and took his coat off, coat off and he laid it on Elisha. As Elisha was out in the field plowing behind the oxen. And Elisha stops. Because in some ways that was the call to follow the prophet Elijah. And Elisha says, 
let me go back home and kiss my mom and dad goodbye. And Elijah permitted him to do that. But Jesus, again, is, is saying to this fella here, you know, don't look back. Don't look back. Now, I've never plowed a furrow in my whole life. I've never stood behind a mule. I've never stood behind a horse. I don't even know what the rear end of a mule looks like. I've never done that but my guess is this. If I've got my hands on a plow and this animal is going that way and I'm looking this way, we've got a problem. And my guess is my cornrow isn't going to come up too straight. Now, how old are you, Lee? <laughs> But my guess is that when you plow, you keep your eye on something that's ahead of you. And you just stay right on it. There's a focus. Suppose no G and ha. Alright. <laughs> but that's the whole point. Jesus is saying, don't look back. Keep your eye on what is before you. Be focused. And that's exactly what he asks us to do. I, I had another encounter that, uh, that just has kind of been this, this, this walk through under, trying to understand discipleship and what it really means. And being challenged by those in my life that, that I feel really understand it better than myself. And when we were in India in November, uh, uh, I had the chance to again meet with um, Paul Sandaraj. And Paul is one of our missionaries in uh, Bihar. And Bihar has been recognized as the graveyard for missionaries. And Paul, when he was called to be a missionary, didn't want to go there. And he prayed about it for some time, and he knew that that's exactly where he was supposed to go. And Paul told the story, and matter of fact, it's in our Penny Crusade material, and I hope you get a chance to look at it. But Paul, Paul tells this story as that he was preaching the gospel. And a man came up behind him and attacked him and took him to the ground and beat him up and held a knife to his throat. And he said, you stop right now or I'll cut your head off. And he took Paul's Bible and left. Paul made it back home and he, he was crippled for about two or three days and he prayed through the whole experience of what he was supposed to do. And the Lord laid it on him. You go back and you preach the gospel. And after three days, he went back and he took his tambourine with him. And he was singing and praising God. And the people in the village said, he's crazy. The guy's going to cut his head off. And lo and behold, the man who assaulted him came up and stood in front of Paul Sonder. And he said, you've got to pray for me. You've got to forgive me. That I have been miserably sick for three days. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I have no feeling in my hands. Here's your Bible. <laughs> and Paul prayed for him. At the very point of a knife, this man continued to be a disciple for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> These are the kind of people that we have out there. These are the kind of people that we need in our churches today. This is the kind of person I want to be for Jesus. You know, this pilgrimage continues. It didn't end with just the encounter with these three. Jesus continues to talk to his disciples 
from that day forward till he gets to Jerusalem. Let me just share two other verses with you quickly here. Some of the things that Jesus said to his disciples on the way to the cross. Luke 14, 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. But later he says, and in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. It all belongs to him. We belong to him. We are his. We sang a hymn before we began the service. And before I began the message. In the first stanza, we said, in the last stanza, we said, will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. Amen.